everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 6, issue 258, They Breathe. You can play along with Cane and Rinse, volume 6. We've published and printed the entire schedule up to and including the 300th issue. You can find that over at caneandrinse.com. Uh, but if you're interested in playing along with our next few shows, we will be covering in-depth as usual Blast Core. Then it'll be the first Chibi Robo game, sometimes known as Plug Into Adventure. Uh, subtitled anyway after that we finally conclude our 18 month long Zelda Odyssey with uh, The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds after that we continue looking at the racing games of Bizarre Creations we'll be talking all about Project Gotham Racing uh, 1 and 2 on the original Xbox and after that it'll be Gone Home much requested uh, head to canerince.com for articles, features, reviews links to our forum of course our Facebook page, our YouTube channel and if you enjoy what we do you can donate a dollar or whatever you feel is appropriate and can afford at patreon.com slash or just as cool, you can buy T-shirts and bags over at shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash cane and rinse. Uh, and yes, very cool cane and rinse T-shirts and bags can be yours to wear with pride. And you may strike up conversation with other people who are familiar with our work. Please also remember, check out our other podcast, which is all about the music of video games. It's called Sound of Play. And as always, we do ask you, if you can, please review rate subscribe both of the podcasts on itunes or wherever else you get them from it's really really helpful now in this slightly different and special issue of cane and rinse joining me leon cox are james carter from cane and rinse hello joshua garrity from cane and rinse hello there and from the working parts we have magnus nistrom victor nistrom hugo biller is that right? That's good. That's great. And Christian Johansson, or Johansson. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's right. Uh, welcome, welcome to Cane and Rinse. Thank you. Thank you. Glad One to be and here. all of you. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, for the sake of uh, clarity and, uh, and all that, uh, so what happened was, now, uh, I think uh, Magnus, certainly, and Victor, uh, who are artists, uh, at the working parts have been aware of Kana Rince for some time and uh, you proposed to us you sent us an email back in December uh, when we were in the midst of planning our next year of shows and said we've got an idea uh, how about we do this game uh, this one that uh, we must admit we hadn't considered before uh, it's called They Breathe it's one we're going to talk about so Apart from, obviously, the uh, incredible amounts of publicity and fame you're going to get from this, uh, what was it that decided, uh, made, made you think it was a good idea to put forward your, uh, your independent project to, uh, for, the, for the cane and rinse levels of scrutiny? Well, uh, me and my brother had been listening to uh, cane and rinse for quite some time. I think it was like maybe two years, three years, two years maybe, two years, yeah, yeah, something like we were still at Paradox. And, uh, yeah. Uh, we were really, you know, uh, blown away by the like the uh, the in depth that you guys go on uh, on games that you cover. 
So we thought, like, thank you. We yeah, try. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many podcasts are, you know, like, what have you you've been playing this month, uh, Brad? You know, I'm playing this and this, and that's not really interesting to me. So <laughs> <laughs> we thought that like this is really good. This is a good podcast. And then we thought, you know, day brief is it's a short game, but um, uh, there's a lot of stuff we need to talk about. And I can also fill in yep. that the the idea as such was kind of planted why when we listened to your interview with uh, Dennis Dyack. Like the way yeah. he he seemed to appreciate uh, what you the, uh, what you did with the podcast about his uh, his game to human, and we thought like yeah this the way that he thought that uh, you guys really respected what he had done was kind of mm. it would be interesting to see what you guys would think about our game. Yeah, I, d- I think you're going to be spared the same levels of uh, vitriol that uh, that Dennis Dyack's games have received out there in the wide world. Although oh. I haven't spoken to James and Josh ahead of time, and I know what they're like, so th- this could be the biggest <laughs> roasting you've ever put yourselves yeah. up for. Yeah, uh, our experience with this game we'll... is that you you never know because uh, it's, it's a very polarizing experience. So we're, we're yeah, so we're yeah. used to people hating it, and I hope at least one okay. of you does. <laughs> Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. So uh, we're doing what we normally do is we we go down uh, a few background details of the game. So uh, I love the fact that the genre is listed on Steam uh, or or possibly on your website as well as Sunken Forest Frog Adventure. Uh, It's a a niche genre. Uh, (laughs) So you guys are based in uh, Göteborg or Gothenburg. I'm really sorry for attempting to say that in in a Swedish type way. That was a terrible idea. Uh, Gothenburg as we say here in England uh, and so Hugo is uh, the designer of the game um, now there were two programmers uh, two other programmers uh, neither of which are, are with us today but uh, but I'm going to mm. ask about uh, their scepticism later on because uh, you reference it a couple of times so that sounds interesting so that was Ulf, uh, Ulf Hartelius and Johan Frolander yeah. yep. uh, then we have Magnus and Victor who are the artists who are here with us and audio designer Christian uh, and the music is by uh, Joel Hugo's brother that's right, right. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, and you also have a quote web guy, John Sundell, uh, who's also not with us. Uh, and so the game first came out, and I remember seeing the art for it uh, way back when on uh, Xbox Live Indie Games, June 2011. Oh, really? 360. Yeah. Cool. I know it came out. I'm just surprised you saw it. Did you see it on the dashboard when it was... I remember it headlined some kind of indie indie, uh, game special or something, I remember. Indie sale on an Xbox Live Arcade. In the Legends. In the Legends. That's true. And it was a huge deal to us back in the day because we were like, oh my God, we headline it. It's a pretty fun fact about that because when when we drew that picture, we we constantly kept, kept saying that this image has to be... It has to be... Uh, good enough to be the front for the in the market on the Xbox if it ever become big enough right. to be that and then eventually it kind of became so that yeah. became big enough so that was pretty cool <laughs> it's a cool picture great frog um yeah no i i used to follow uh, i used to follow what i tried to follow what was going on in xbox live indie and I, I think james and josh would have done to an extent as well but i think there came a point where there were so many uh, interesting and creative titles coming out that it actually became difficult to keep up and there was also a lot of i mean this isn't really the cane and rinse but i think it's fair to say there was a lot of trash on there there was oh, a lot of um that is fair to say a lot of a, a lot of clones a lot of badly put together stuff a lot yeah. of like um sexy massages beer pong and stuff yeah, yeah. Beer pong, absolutely. Actually, minecraft clones there were also some real gems on there i remember 
Oh, um, yeah, totally. Silver Dollar Games were really up and down. I remember Chet and John on their podcast would find out one of their games they really liked, but they were releasing like one a month at, at some points, it seemed. Yeah. Um, uh, and stuff like uh, The Dishwasher started out on Exploit, yeah. yeah. didn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was um, one of the sort of banner titles at the beginning, so yeah. There's quite a few people have broken out, and we'll, we'll talk about you guys in, in the industry a bit as well in, in a while but um, yeah I had a I had a decent sized collection of, of Xbox Live indie games uh, and well I still have yeah I still still keep hold of my 360 um, but obviously that that kind of that thing has kind of died now but I suppose you know you can still uh, get these things uh, put on Steam and they, they may or may not may not get some attention uh, and we should say that they breathe first arrived on PC uh, uh, the year after Xbox Live Indie but then um has since arrived on Steam in 2014, but you can get it on Desura, Gamersgate. Uh, I'm, I say that carefully these days, and Steam. Yeah. Uh, can I just uh, uh, add? Yeah, uh, please. Uh, the Xbox thing, the, the version on Xbox, you shouldn't get that one <laughs> because it's pretty old. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, really hard compared to the okay. PC game. Oh, okay. Right. Interesting. So um, there was one uh, of complete published review, um, which I managed to find, which is on uh, Honest Gamers. And they gave it a, uh, a recommendation, a 70 percent, seven out of 10, uh, 30 minutes of surreal amphibian based macabre. But was that based on the no, it was based on the PC version. So that's slightly more, slightly more recently. Right. Uh, so there were there are no kind of official published reviews of the Xbox Live Indie version, but you can still buy it. I think it's uh, it's three dollars or whatever the equivalent is. Yeah. Um, but it, on, on Steam, it's like it's less than a. That over here it's less than one pound um, and I should say also for those interested in uh, ethics in games journalism uh, we were provided with codes for the entire team by the development team here so <laughs> just so <laughs> you know which doesn't normally happen for Kane and Rince games um, I want to issue a spoiler warning at this point in the podcast uh, because it is a game that I think or an experience that can be spoiled uh, by knowing what happens and, and what what comes later in the game uh and given that it costs under a pound or a euro or a dollar or whatever it costs near you and takes about half an hour or even less to finish uh you can go off and play that now and uh, and come back uh, so even this quote from the review that i want to read you uh is something of a spoiler so they breathe depths have a dreamlike and appalling element to them wrapped up in their hand-drawn HD graphics filled with simplistic expressions of panic submission and ultimate surrender the only sympathetic creatures out there are your fellow frogs and they're dying as you find them everything else slowly starts to make ghastly sense the further down you explore until you reach the bottom then there's a moment a disquieting unsettling moment when everything suddenly makes alarming sense and then nothing the game has ever displayed can be looked at the same way again. That's pretty. No. That's a pretty strong write-up, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. They, they yeah. managed to talk about the spoiler, but not actually spoiling it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Talk around it. Yeah. 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 Uh, game Grumps called it the scariest game on earth. <laughs> Kotaku said they breathe is proof that you don't need realistic graphics or complicated gameplay gameplay to tell a horrifying story and uh, listed it as an Xbox Live indie favorite. And Destructoid said they breathe it de is deceptively creepy and disturbing in all the right ways. So some pretty strong 
positive words there. Uh, and the Steam users uh, also feel the same way from a, a, a hearty, healthy and hearty 891 reviews. Uh, it is rated as very positive. Uh, and on NeoGAF, it was awarded an Xbox Live indie game Silver. Uh, and the quote, some games evoke such a strange feeling that you can't help but be sucked in. They Breathe is one of those games. So that's all great. Um, <laughs> one thing I'm curious about, because obviously no such figures exist, maybe you don't know yourselves, but I'm interested over the two or yeah, PC and Xbox Live indie versions. If, if you've got an idea of how many like units you've sold to be very corporate about it. Uh, yeah, I can uh, at least know the Steam sales. Uh, I haven't checked them in about a year or something, but I think we sure. uh, had like um, uh, a bit over 120,000 installs, I think. Wow, cool. And then some of those are keys that we have given away and stuff. But of course. Yeah, yeah of course. It's been pretty... 119,000 okay. keys given yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I, can, I can tell you as someone who works in publishing, a hundred, you know, 100,000 uh, installs is actually kind of a big deal these days. Yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't poo-poo yourselves for that. That's really impressive. Yeah, you, you, is, you kind yeah. of have to keep in mind that we, we've been working with a lot of bundles because we early on sort of made the decision that we're more interested in just spreading this game than making the most money of it that yeah. we can. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I'm not sure. If, yeah. Uh, and also the fact that it's a really short game probably helps when people want to yeah, think I about think installing so. it whether or not to do it. Yeah, we, uh, we might also see... Uh, Less sales now, I think, because people uh, can buy it, play it, and then refund it <laughs> during the two hours no. that, you, that you have on Steam. Oh, so. God. That, yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. God, yeah. I probably shouldn't have said that. Probably shouldn't have said that. So that that can happen, but uh, hopefully people play the game, and when they reach the, the end, maybe they respect it as much, so they maybe keep it or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we want to show it to that's fans a, or whatever. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing. Thought about that 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 Steam initiative, which is is seems like a very consumer friendly thing in a lot of ways, but it's not necessarily developer friendly if you've released a game which is half an hour long. Yeah. Doesn't have to be. So speaking of the length, uh, it they breathe is featured on the excellent resource howlongtobeat.com, and uh, the average completion time that people have logged is thirty one minutes. Oh. And uh, the completionist is 3.5 hours, which I Dang. assume is people going back again and again, attempting to rescue all the frogs. Those poor people, yeah, that, that's, that's the one. Like <laughs> 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 Most of those hours is probably that one achievement, yeah, uh, trying to rescue all of them, which is nearly impossible. It, 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 was, okay. it was a mean achievement to include. That's great. I want to, uh, yeah. Some people want that too, so... Yeah, I, I want to talk about achievements later because obviously you didn't have them in the uh, Xbox Live indie game because that they weren't facilitated well, yeah, not via the by the dashboard. Point, although yeah. some in, some indie games had their own uh, in-game stuff, but it, you obviously you did put in Steam achievements. Yeah, we, I remember we'll we wanted we wanted to have them, but we couldn't. I remember, but okay, then we could right. with Steam, so we made some funny ones. Yes, and some hard ones. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, one of the uh, one of the quotes I read going into... Uh, actually, I think this was on the credits, where the credit roll at the end, it says, based on a school project. Um, is it school or university? Uh, university. Uh, is this... Yeah, yeah University of... Uh, is it Skövde? Uh, you, you, you could say that. <laughs> okay, here, here we yeah, go. Sorry. Here we go. Skövde. Yeah. Skövde. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, so, I've said uh, it. But, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so that's, thank where you. We, okay. that was, that's where we all went uh, between, well, 08-11. So the game sort of, I mean, it's a game that essentially designed itself because it's it's all written on the, the secret website that we put up. But uh, basically I was sitting in a, in a student dinner and... I, for some reason, an artist on the other end of the table sketched a, a moose's head. And from my side of the table, that I'm going deep into spoiler territory now, uh, that moose's head looked like a frog to me. Um, and that was just su- such a cool sort of visual illusion that I felt we had to do something with it. And, and Magnus was on me for, for weeks uh, that we have to make a game about this. And then the time came to do our first sort of school project and I put together a... Well, pitch, what turned into it? the first pitch for They Breathe, yeah. Which was awful, the game, I mean. The first version <laughs> was the awful. The whole thing, because like you were seated next to this guy, like opposite sides, and he sketches a, a moose head, and you say, ah, oh, that's a cool frog, right? I think you said yeah. that. And then, like, how did he draw that upside down? And then you realize he didn't draw a frog, he drew a moose. And when I heard about that, I was like, that's that's a, like a God-given thing, that thing that happened there. We need to use that <laughs> for something. And we're going to make a game in two weeks now, so we're going to have to use that for that. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's... Two weeks. It's, it's Oh, no, the game was made on for, uh, for ten weeks, but we were making... The product started within two weeks, so I had like two weeks right. of uh, uh, pestering Hugo about this. And it should be mentioned also for clarity that that game is not the version that we eventually put on Steam. That's a yeah. completely no, remade version. It's a totally different game. And that took six months. If you if one wants to, uh, you can see the old game if you go into the website uh, gameawards.se and then you search for Daybrief under the Games tab. You can actually see the it old game there. still be there. No, it's there, I checked. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, there. Right. it's still there. All right. And um, that game has no end, is that right? It doesn't have the same sort of uh, cataclysmic sort of final boss type situation no, is that right or? no the, we never got to the boss there we actually designed the yeah. boss i think but we never got mm. to implement any of it, it. Um, no we, we only had 10 weeks and we were all really beginners at, at our respective crafts yeah. uh, so we uh, uh, we didn't we really didn't get far with that version uh, we we didn't make much of it <laughs> at all really which is why we we felt compelled to sort of come back to it and, and do the concept justice all right so one of the things we always do on cane and rinse uh, there may be not uh, may not be much to this um is we we talk uh, the panelists about our history with the game uh now so my history with the game is that i remember seeing the picture of the frog on my 360 dashboard five or six years ago and uh, i finally played the game today uh, ahead of doing this podcast so i played it uh, through once and a bit more just uh, I had a little play around with the uh, with the opening section because I, I sort of worked out based on one of the Steam achievements that you could do and a whole Echo the Dolphin type of thing <laughs> um, so, so I've, I've played it through uh, so James uh, was was your introduction to They Breathe uh, following our conversations over email with the team? Uh, I would say almost identical to you I I couldn't have told you what it was for, but I remember seeing as a as a piece of thumbnail art for a game that frog is yeah. pretty noticeable and pretty memorable. And I I definitely have memories of seeing that whether it was just floating about on Xbox um, Live Indie Games channel at the time or whether it was uh, possibly on Steam. Given we're well past the um, the, mm. the Steam release uh, at this point, but but yeah, like you, um, it's for this podcast that I played the game and uh, I I played it today through um, through a couple of times and still didn't manage oh, okay. to get the twenty minute achievement. 
Damn it. <laughs> no. But not three and a half hours and the and the save everyone achievement. So, I, I looked at some of those uh, achievements and thought that doesn't seem possible. <laughs> Obviously, I assumed it, it was, but it, uh, yeah, saving all the frogs. I thought I I had a lot of trouble uh, just saving a couple of them uh, at the beginning oh. before you've got you know jellyfish chasing after you and whatnot as well. So pertinent we come back to <laughs> okay no, I, I just remembered when we implemented that achievement just uh, rescuing all the frogs i actually had to to do it to make sure that yeah, you know yeah. just yeah. for testing yeah. purposes making sure that it actually fired and that took me a good few hours and i made okay. the game yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah some steam user actually messaged, messaged me and said you haven't even got it yourself so i had to go and get it actually i got it now so yeah oh that's beautiful uh yeah so josh uh, similar to me and james um so this this was a, a an interesting situation because when when you first emailed me i was like oh mm. i don't know what this game is oh that's interesting um let's find out let's find out what it is and then as i looked into it and um and playing it I kind of realized that I had actually heard people talking about this game a long time ago. Yeah. Um, sure. And um, yeah, just, oh yeah, these, you know, the, the moose frogs and, and all that. I remember, <laughs> like, I can't, I can't for the life of me tell you um, what podcasts I heard it on or um, what video reviews, but like, it's just like an amalgamation of people who spoke about it at some distant point in time and um, just kind of slowly realizing and and like regaining my memories of uh, the conversation around this but yeah this is the first time i'd ever played it personally though yeah so i i gotta say um the frog moose frog thing uh, which is brilliant um but i feel like maybe like i tried before i played the game through uh i deliberately avoided finding out too much about you know what happened but i did sort of read that there was some kind of twist or revelation and i feel like maybe the the kind of the power of that moment was slightly spoiled for me by the first time i saw the frog moose frog i thought that moose has a frog for a face so like my brain just kind of immediately did the and i'm not trying to make out that i'm i'm clever here i just think for whatever reason like maybe it was exactly aligned with my my frog at the time or something like that so it so it kind of made like a, a match pair on screen so um having that having that kind of it, it still made me obviously i was still interested to see where where the game was going and, and at the bottom you know at the bottom what was gonna what we were gonna see but the fact that i kind of saw that these these creatures were one and the set or related in some way kind of gave me a gave me a different sort of level a different type of anticipation do you think is is that i'm i can't be the only one but do you think um do you think it it it's something that you know ideally would you have people just not even spotting that until they get to the bottom but because because they kind of the mooses swim around the screen and you know turn upside down and stuff it, it's always likely that people might make that connection at some point isn't it yeah uh, i mean ideally we we would you know keep it as long as possible and and reveal it uh, yeah. well in the, in the later stages when it's kind of when you can't really not see it anymore um, but I mean, we've, yeah. we've been aware from early, uh, when we developed this, that, you know, some people just get it at the start. And, uh, right. I mean that, that 
happens. I, I don't think we can do that much more, <laughs> really, uh, to, no, to no, avoid no. that situation. What, um, but because, you know, it happens in, in the sixth sense as well, right? Some people realize it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. And it, it, well, it, it doesn't happen as much in the sixth sense as it, as it happens for us because ours is sort of a visual illusion and some people are just going to yeah. see through it. Uh, but what we found really interesting is that many of the people that realized uh, or, you know, saw through the plot twist right away had really interesting experiences anyway. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what we saw in, in the Game Grumps video, for example. Yeah. They, they just called it right away. Yeah, that, okay, that's that's a moose head straight up. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But then they got really scared when they saw, like, uh, yeah, yeah, that didn't have a head. And, and they just had this completely different uh, path into that. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I mean, it's a that's a hit and miss thing, really. I mean, uh, I've seen um, I've seen playthroughs on YouTube that people like they 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 beat the whole game, they, they clear the boss and everything, and they still don't get it. So it's like <laughs> it's different from, yeah. from from person to person. But we yeah. we did want. Um, I mean, we, we will talk about this probably more in depth later. But we we always wanted people to be able to call it like maybe in wave two or three if they can. Like we mm. we put out small yeah. hints and stuff all over the game. Uh, and then eventually we really try to make the people realize what they're actually seeing. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, eventually you get to the point where uh, dead frogs are being swapped between jellyfish. Certainly by the yeah. end, that's happening yeah. right in front of your eyes, and it's kind of hard to I- ignore. I think, but obviously, for s- some people, that's not the case. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting because uh, my first thought was you you could feasibly see, say, a moose upside down and spot that it's it's a frog's head. And you could. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that anyone necessarily would because clearly it has some kind of meaning. Um, but you, you could think, oh, that's a reused asset in the same way that a texture turned 90 <laughs> degrees or something. It, you know, yeah. you see that in games where it's like, oh, this, this room's just... A, a, you know, a reflection <laughs> of a previous room. They've just laid it out slightly differently, but it's all the same. They've reused the asset. You could That's kind of excuse yeah. it that way, but I, I have to say, I, I like your explanation as well, that people then see the jellyfish afterwards, and that then is the disturbing thing, not, you know, if they notice that the, the frog is the head uh, very early on, then seeing the headless moose is a jellyfish is, is still a pretty significant thing to discover. Um Especially by the time you get to the end and realize that actually they are jellyfish that are then adopting, you know, feeding on uh, the the frogs essentially. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Mm. No. Because uh, if you do if you do see through it from the start, then then you have to answer the question: Why are these jellyfish yeah. latching yeah. on to these frogs? And that that's. Yes. And that that's the more disturbing. Yeah, that's the much more disturbing part of it. Is is the why I think. Um, yeah, my, yeah, I was immediately, uh, it, obviously this game predates it by several years, but I was immediately thinking about Inside, the, the last oh, year's yeah. uh, game. Uh, and I was thinking about, uh, I don't want to spoil Inside because this is not that podcast. We've, we've done that before and it's, it doesn't go <laughs> down well. But <laughs> but there are things which happen inside, uh, in Inside which, um, which yeah, made, made me think of some of the elements and assets and and the tone as well of, of They Breathe. I see what you mean. Never thought of that. Um, yeah, there's a, as, you, as you said, we won't spoil it now, but there is a, let's say there's a part of Inside where you're in water with a thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And that yeah. reminded me a lot of The Breathe. And we were, actually, we were actually saying like, 
I mean, it's not impossible to play it. It's not no, impossible. Because I, I remember when the <laughs> brief came out, when the yeah. brief came out, a lot of reviews and stuff actually mentioned Limbo. Oh yeah, that's true. I remember that, yeah. like the right. dark, moody, hand-drawn stuff. Yeah, that, that's much more a tonal similarity, I think, um, than anything. But, but within, with Inside, the, I think Leon's right, again, to avoid spoilers, there is almost, instead of just tone and atmosphere, it's th- there's a thematic similarity there, in, especially in terms of there being not a twist, but something you need to discover. And some people will come to that conclusion earlier in the game but it doesn't necessarily mean that the denouement has less impact I don't think I think Mm. that's true of Inside uh, and They Breathe. It's for me it's about how it articulates because I mean I I was one of those people that kind of figured out that this was some kind of tumorous growth or something like that that was my first instinct was that like the jellyfish were kind of growing out of the frogs in some way and then seeing the Mm. jellyfish on their own and realizing that these were organisms kind of capturing and possessing them and, Mm. and and that that was that was really dark but just having that that um reveal be entirely visual um and not kind of relying on you know um text you know condescension or any kind of exposition just kind of trusting the player to just kind of put two and two together and figure out that you know oh god this is this is the life cycle of this creature that i'm kind of seeing in reverse um as i descend down into the depths um and yeah i just that kind of trust is is really impressive of just like letting your visuals tell the story and not having to you know go into detail and explain everything thank you yeah that that's really the heart of what we tried to achieve with it i think and and <laughs> making something where players get to feel trusted and and get to yeah get to feel like we we actually trust them to figure these things out yourself because the the experience of actually yourself discovering how this fits together is so much stronger than having it told to you. Uh, and it started out just as, as an exercise in visual storytelling that we don't want to use text or words in any way. But I think it over, over the time we developed it, it actually went further because in earlier versions we relied on not, not cut scenes, but sort of uh, scripted events playing out in the background. And mm. I think it was only when we... Th- threw that away as well and and decided to only try to tell this story with the gameplay mechanics that we have uh, that these discoveries sort of become became really genuine or, or something that the players really got to um, discover by themselves if you know what I mean yeah, yeah I can just mention this it's a, I remember we discussed it quite a bit before we actually decided to go down that path that it's like a it's a really big chance you take uh, similarly to games like for instance uh, Dark Souls or The Witness where there's a pretty bigger part of the game that is really really cool but some people will just miss it because they won't know know about it until they actually discover it themselves and when they discover it in for instance The Witness for those of you who play that there's a there's a component of that game that isn't really in the PR videos but that you have to discover yourself and when you do that your mind is blown <laughs> And we wanted mm. to, we wanted to go for that, yeah. Fez yeah. as well. Oh, that was exactly what I was thinking. Fez, yeah, yeah. Just just on the the kind of ecosystem uh, aspect that that Josh mentioned, 
I had a, a second kind of revelation that I'm I'm not sure if was even real. So I'll just say what it was. <laughs> now um, now you is your chance to ask. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We do have the answer. Um, the underwater plants that are uh, possibly ejecting, they're ejecting bubbles, but you see them, they're like trumpets at the side. Yeah, um, yeah. You get a close-up of one of them at one point, and it looks like it's stacked jellyfish upside down. Right, yeah, it is. Is that right? Because, <laughs> yeah. again, that, that adds into the notion that there's a jellyfish on the bottom producing smaller jellyfish that go out, kill frogs. Those frogs then come down to the bottom to feed to the large jellyfish and the the smaller jellyfish that die because they have to hunt frogs and frogs need air you know that whole ecosystem aspect of uh, the frogs are uh, prey but it's actually still dangerous for the jellyfish to hunt them so some of them die and they form these plants that then produce air to tempt the frogs into the into the water it, it's this got a real kind of um sort of food chain aspect to it yeah i mean i don't want to go too deeply into this but because it's it's obvious to me that players make their own sort of theories about how sure, this all absolutely. fits together and i, yeah. I don't want to come mm. with a definite answer but let's do it anyway um, but but, but uh, about the thing you said uh, with with the polyps as we call them um yes is yeah. is, mm. is one of the uh uh that's one that not that many players have caught caught on to, but okay. uh, I, well, we had a pretty specific idea about it, so so I can go into that one. Um, and yeah, like you say, when when the jellies blow up because they get filled up with too much too much oxygen, yeah. they actually lose their legs, uh, and those can yeah. sort of hurt you. Yeah. Uh, and those legs are actually the exact same sprite as the polyps that you see in the background. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so really, really early on in the game, you see a leg in the background. Uh, and, you, yeah, and you might see that that's actually a moose leg, but most people don't because yeah, it moves the and it breathes and it looks weird, so people kind of concentrate yeah. on that. But there is actually yeah. a hoof on we that did, leg. We did actually, we, we did research on that, how, uh, how, how the polyps work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's based on actual the actual reproductive cycle of jellies mm. because they, they sort of drop, uh, well, they don't drop their legs, uh, but they drop eggs, which grow mm. into these polyps uh, that stacks. essentially grow into stacks of, of new jellies. Do not Google off. material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a whole other realm of nightmares, I imagine. Yeah, we've been. Uh, Hugo said that most gamers don't actually call co- on to that, and that's true. But uh, I have seen some comments like of people study uh, marine biology and stuff, and they're like, "Are they are those polyps? That's so awesome!" <laughs> so that's that's cool. Good stuff. Yeah, I love that attention to detail. Yeah, yeah, it just struck me that it's got this. It's obviously a small ecosystem because there's uh, only sort of four or five different. Um, parts to it but it, it's still really uh, it made by the time i got to the bottom it all just kind of came together in this uh very profound way is the only way i can describe it uh that there is this kind of food chain uh and and uh, consequence you know cause and effect going on with um with the frogs and the jellyfish and and then everything else around it. it's really really cool i thought uh, it was uh, one thing that i feel like i extrapolated from the relatively small amount of information that that we are given is that this is uh, set on a flooded world in the in the future. Uh, is that uh, is that something I'm supposed to have extrapolated, or again, is that open to interpretation? You, you have a flooded forest, but I feel like one of the only um, like the the log upon which you you begin the game sitting is is just one bit of floating 
detritus or flotsam and jetsam, jetsam which is um, now entire, the, the earth is now, you know, 98% water instead of 70% or something yeah. like that. We always made a point of not including any sort of human artifacts in this because we wanted it to be sort of a, a, an evil nature documentary. Um, <laughs> yeah. And... Um, we haven't really gone into, I mean, in our minds even, what the world outside of this forest looks like. It could be that the whole world is flooded. It could be that it just takes place in, in a secluded valley that's flooded. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. we, we we don't really have an answer ourselves for that, to be honest. That's cool. I do you, remember, you guys something? Yeah, I do remember we talked about, like, if they ask us, we just say, you know, climate change is a thing and... Uh, you know, yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, big issue. I remember yeah, in exactly. really early versions of the brief, you had like um, human props and stuff, but yeah. we removed that. Yeah, we removed that. The uh, the oh, odd okay. thing is that after they breathe, we made a game about the Aral Sea, which is now a desert. Uh, so if, mm. if if anyone asks, we'll, we'll just say that you know all the water from the Aral Sea actually ended up in they breathe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ah, you have a have a linking. You have a mythology. The games or like Team Eco or something. Everything everything ties together. It's always good. Uh, yeah, let's hear from our first uh, correspondent on the forum. Somebody who uh, else who played the game. This is from Good Shrewsbury, who says I enjoyed the misdirection at the start. I got an Odell Lake vibe from the initial screen uh, interjection here. Odell Lake is a is an educational piece of software for the Commodore sixty four and Apple computers from the eighties, uh, which. Uh, it sort of simulates uh, watery life. Uh, but that quickly warps into a very different kind of experience from my childhood memories of speaking with the otters and rainbow trout of Lake Odell. I thought the pace of the downward spiral into amphibian hell was done quite well. At first I was chuckling at the creature design, but at one point I was struck by the, at the realisation that the heads of the creatures which I initially thought of as a sort of underwater cow were actually upside down dead frogs. After that revelation, the rest of the experience was much more unsettling, and I must say I was legitimately happy to burst the final bubble. The nail-biting ascent to the surface was a nice touch also. Uh, so that ascent at the end, uh, I'm jumping forward, we'll come back. Um, was there, that, that's non-interactive, was there any, uh, any thought of making that so that the player had to actually swim back to the surface either during the credit roll or, or before? We actually talked about that for a while um, because yeah. it's the only time that we take control away from the player. And yes. At, yeah. at the point, it was at that point, it was a bit controversial because we figured this is obviously a game where you are always playing, uh, and and uh, it, it, in a way, I, I suppose it's inconsistent of us to take away control at that point. But we we felt that um, in the early versions when we did let players um, just mm. swim around freely while the screen scrolled upwards, um, they didn't really focus on on the the sort of atmosphere of of the credits roll. Right. Uh, because, you know, once you have control, you feel like you're expected to do something. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and players would just panic around and where are all the bubbles? How, how, how can I find bubbles? Am I going to drown? And that's not really the... I mean, in the end, that's not the atmosphere that we were shooting for uh, with the ending. We wanted more of a, you know, just silent denouement. And uh, taking away controls seemed like the best way to achieve that at the point at that point cool let's talk about the the actual gameplay um that's kind of an important thing uh so one of the uh pieces that you've written there's a there's a secret gallery uh, that players can 
unlock at the end or, or go and visit your website and, and put in the password. Uh, and there's some really interesting sort of clues and, and information about the, the development. And one of the things, Hugo, I think you say about the the actual the core gameplay is that it's uh, it's like a shoot 'em up without the without the shooting. Um, it's like a defensive or pacifistic shoot 'em up in that you're you're moving uh, in fairly freely around the screen uh, and you're collecting and avoiding. I suppose in that sense, it reminds me of um, you know some vintage arcade games where that was the name of the game, including, uh, appropriately enough, Frogger, which was a game where you <laughs> yeah. went up, down, left and right controls, and it was more about avoiding than it was about collecting, although there was an element of that. Um, so, yeah, what, what's the... Uh, was there a point when you thought, yes, I've made, I've made a shoot-em-up, but Oh, what did you even consider having uh like any kind of player projectile or anything like that a tongue or something maybe nah <laughs> no, no, not really uh no I, i've I'd actually been toying around with the idea of, of making a shooter without shooting for a while because especially yeah. in you know classic space shmups you just hold that button all the time anyway it's it's not even an action it's just just it, it might as well happen automatically they're actually passive yeah the movement is all the, the key bit isn't it yeah, actually, I, th- I think I, I thought about it when I played, I think it was WarioWare Touched, and there was a, a, a boss game in, in that in, in one of the minigame sessions mm. that was a shmup that would just shoot automatically, yeah. because why not? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I figured you might as well. I mean, if, 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 we, if we set this underwater, everyone's going to gr- drown anyway, so that became the sort of equivalent to automatically holding the shooting button. Yeah. Um, you just need to stay away until they die. Yeah, we did yeah. call it a drown them up at several, up, several yeah. occasions. <laughs> I wanted to talk about, because to me, and, and it's something we talk about a lot on Kane and Rince, um, one of the most important things about video games and gameplay for me overall, although you know there are exceptions, of course, like everything, uh, is the feel of control. So even if, uh, it, whether I'm playing a 30-minute long independent experiment a shoot 'em up with no shooting, or whatever, uh, or 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 some you know triple A big budget high profile title is. If the if the control feels bad, then I won't want to continue. Uh, and even other things which I, I suppose you could um, sort of say are, are not dissimilar in some ways, like um, that game company's Flow, which obviously also is set or feels like it's set in in water. Um, and the controls a bit different there because you're using the six axis, but um, but yeah, I just wanted to say that um, that I think that the the feel of controlling the frog in this game is is neat and tight enough that I actively enjoyed controlling the frog on on his journey, um, and the you know the 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 boost you got from pressing the A button was uh, felt appropriate, and the responsiveness to the turn felt. Uh, felt sweet and and it did indeed remind me like from the opening uh moments there uh, i was of course immediately thinking about echo the dolphin on on the mega drive um and that joyous moment of leaping out the water and spinning in air and perhaps froggy isn't quite so uh acrobatic and maneuverable um possibly doesn't even have as quite as many frames of animation as echo did i'm not sure but uh uh, but but that you know that's quite a high bar as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I'm interested first to hear from uh, James and Josh uh, about how how you felt about the feel of controlling the game. Yeah, I, I, like you, I thought it was uh, very fun to to steer the the frog around, try and 
you know, catch the air bubbles and dodge the enemies. Um, I think the thing that threw it into very sharp relief as being a good experience was um, how much slower and more difficult it is to move when you have been captured by a jellyfish and you're trying to steer it towards the air bubble. Uh, which was the technique I kind of ended up using. Um, yeah. and, and frequently I would feel like I could reach an air bubble, but it would just sort of scoot past the uh, mm. the sort of top of the dome. Um, and so when mm-hmm. I finally did achieve that and got sort of my freedom back, if you like, uh, and was able to swim as a frog again, that 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 was really I, I I thought that was great to see the difference between the way you control when you're supposed to be hampered and finding it difficult and it's a struggle, and then the freedom you have as as this frog underwater. Um, as far as a a game that uh, I compared it to, uh, Echo the Dolphin, obviously yes, uh, but uh, Abzu I played last year, um, mm. and and I. That's a game that divides a lot of people on uh, on whether they like it or not, or consider it a game or not, or whatever. All these different mm-hmm. reasons people have not to to like things. Um, but in 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 that case, the way I explain it to people, sorry, that's that's a bit, a bit OTT. I heard the scowl. We can relate. Um, I can, can relate. Um, so the way I explain uh, Abzu to people in terms of why I like it, even though I may accept that other people aren't as fond of it, is it, mm. it did a great job of representing uh, the freedom you can feel when you feel at home in water. Um, yes. That freedom of movement, that ease of movement. And this was exactly the same. You're a frog in water. You should feel at home. And you do, obviously, with the perils that exist there. But in terms of movement itself, I thought it was uh, very immediate, very fast. And, yeah, I, I really enjoyed zooming around the screen. Hmm. I, Josh, did you feel I, similarly or not? I'm Yeah, largely I did. I, I think um, if I had known that uh, drowning w- wasn't a fail state, I may <laughs> have played the game very differently uh, because mm. I was um, obsessed with making sure my frog was as green as possible. <laughs> yeah. And um, sometimes that meant that... Uh, some of the interactions with um, the enemies and the helpless frogs uh, left me kind of disengaging from that um, scenario altogether because I was so concerned about my own greenness that right. I just <laughs> I the like because when you're because you're part of the game um just for the listeners at home is that there are these drowning frogs that come up um to the surface and they're struggling to breathe and um your first thought is oh my god i've got to save these frogs and the first time you encounter them you you know push them into bubbles to try and get them back to Mm. um their green cells again and then they swim off to the surface and they're fine um but when the enemy um jellyfish are introduced as well i found the the level of um control i had not over my frog so much but the 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 other frogs um Mm. kind of 
uh, hampered my want to actually save them. And at a certain point towards the end of the game, I was like, you guys, why are you swimming towards the bubbles? Why, why are you swimming towards the bubbles? It's right there. And I was just like, if you guys could just go, just drown, because I need to, I'm I'm here oh, for number man. one. I'm here Josh, for number one, and I'm going to be as green as possible. Unbridled capitalism here, Josh. I'm sounding like if they do drown you get a big bubble from them so that's, that's nice that's right? true I was thinking about number one I was thinking like a modern yeah. British the, politician the bubble economy um, is out of control in your world and I, 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 I'm exaggerating. I did feel awful about that, and I feel like that's like almost. I feel I, you know. Correct me if I'm right. I feel that that's intentional. Um, that there's yeah. that conflict of self-preservation versus um, the preservation mm. of others. Um, I. It's just at points like the. I think the 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 frogs the other frogs AI. Um, when they they weren't swimming towards the bubbles, when it was like two like two centimeters away from them, I was like, maybe it's well, probably they're oxygen starved. They're not thinking straight. Well, that's true. Actually, that that's a fair explanation. They're not getting oxygen to their brain, so obviously they're not thinking straight. But you know, the thought the thought in my mind is like, am I? Oh no, I'm getting into eugenics now. But uh, <laughs> just like um, like, am I? This would happen. <laughs> Let the stupid frogs we, we die. Do, Is that what we do. Saying, we do. Let's let these frogs die because they're not. They're not swimming towards. They don't have the survival instinct. Strong enough for the. Who knew pool. that? Who knew that recording a They Breathe podcast would uh, well, reveal me to this, be a fascistic Nazi? But oh well. Um, this like, is why they brought it to us. This yeah. is. This is. They knew these. these the Swedish development team. They knew what was going. Yeah. We did. Amazing. Um, one of the other uh, elements that uh, that you talk about, uh, Hugo, is um, that it, you at least considered the thought that maybe the game wouldn't be, you know, on rails. I mean, it's it's like a, it's a vertical scroller in the end, although it scrolls the the other way. You're going down, uh, which is you know uh, counterintuitive to how one normally goes in a in a shoot 'em up. Although there are there are moments of, of exception to that. Um, but yeah, you you discuss um, the the thought that you could have let players have a bit more freedom to explore. Um, and what was it? Was it the was it the workload, or was it actually the the focus of the game that was the main consideration for not allowing that? Um, I mean, I'm a huge Metroidvania nut. Uh, so so yes. I, I always, I we mean, my, are, first, I my first impulse is always to to let the player just go wherever they want uh, within uh, within well designed confines. Uh, of but uh, in in this instance, I think by, by the time we started thinking about that, the game was all was already so tightly designed, uh, and we we really couldn't figure out. A, a way of telling all these little things that we that we needed to tell with it, uh, with w while giving up control of the camera. So we we never really went that far uh, with those thoughts. Um, I you could say I'm doing it now. Um, uh, that's not quite fair. Uh, I'm I'm working on a game called Fear right now. 
Okay. Uh, which you might have have seen in uh, Electronic Arts's uh, E3 presentation last uh, last yeah. E3, um, which is more of an an, an open Metroidvania style adventure, I guess. And I'm I'm not in any way saying that Fear is a sequel to They Breathe or anything, um, but it certainly inherits some of this, uh, um, some of of. Just the the player sort of freely exploring uh, an ecosystem and figuring out how it works uh, silently mm. in a way. Uh, so I'm 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 sort of um, exploring that now, I guess, in the way that we never got to do with They Breathe. I remember we talked about mm. it, like if we could do, maybe you could swim uh, at least to the sides while going down, but then we realized like we have all these <clears throat> going down, we have all these like fight club-ish uh, giveaways and cues and stuff that you can miss <laughs> if, you're, if you're not there. Yeah. So, and that was really important to us. I remember like, it's, it's so cool if, if uh, player one or player B can call the whole twist like in on wave three or wave five or something. And if you're like, if you're, if you're not there, then you won't see it. So that, that was like counterproductive to the game, I think. And you should have mentioned also that we actually, we like the version of the brief that you're playing now, the, the remake, so to speak, of the original game was actually made yeah. uh, in during another project when we were so tired of that project that we wanted six months doing something else where we did their brief and that project was a metrovania game in a sense so that could kind of explain right. why we kind of didn't want to go that go down that uh, path right yeah. it could definitely yeah. have worked it yeah, would have been a different cool. game uh yeah. i think one of the main things that uh, i mean that, that we gain on this is that it, it gets to be a small game this way uh if we'd sprawled out it, it would have taken a lot more time and uh, mm. we, we like it being just this this small nugget that you can play through in 20 or 30 minutes yeah uh, and i think the descent thing is also really uh powerful which you wouldn't yeah, get agree. with freer movement yeah just mm. just on that leon when you mentioned that obviously uh the direction you're moving on the screen is opposite to the way you would normally move in a vertical shmup i tried to picture how the game would have worked if you were swimming up the screen and therefore the surface mm. of the water would be at the bottom and it actually made me feel slightly you know a slight amount of vertical just because it'd yeah. be so <laughs> intuitively wrong despite the fact that in a game setting that's more yeah. normal i guess yeah. um and and there's lots of there's lots of games that have um asked you to descend into uh you know cr- crevasses and abysses and things like that so it's not it's not unprecedented but it it does lend very much its own uh its own atmosphere yeah um what, one thing i was going to say on so keeping the scope focused on this single vertical slice i know that's not a good term to use um when talking about video games but the single vertical track if you like um means that obviously you can control not what the player sees because as we've mentioned there's a lot of interpretation whether players notice things or don't but it would have obviously been much more difficult if you'd had to try and rely on that across say infinite or or even just three uh, screen widths worth of of um of play space i guess um what one thing i did want to ask is it's not constantly scrolling it does pause when a wave arrives um so presumably differences in how quickly players will beat the game uh, or finish the game not beat it's not really appropriate but finish the game um come down to how quickly they clear a wave and not just how quickly they've 
they uh, complete the, the boss at the end or you know, the boss fight at the end. Um, presumably there is variation there from somewhere around the, I guess, 15 to 20 minute mark up to presumably almost as long as, well, not as long as you wanted because the enemies eventually do kind of... Uh, well, if you die, you have to restart the wave. Yeah, that's true. So you could just keep on repeating. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, does and that you can man, you can elect to restart a wave if you go into the pause menu as well. That's yeah, one yeah. of the the gamiest elements of the game, I would say. Yeah, that's the way to get that achievement. Yeah, <laughs> it it really is. That that's the secret. Whenever a frog dies, you restart the wave, and and that clears that death from the record. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You can does, still get the does achievement. Does that mean there's a, a a pretty hard and fast average? That, that most people end up hitting around the sort of 25 to 30 minute mark or is it yeah. not that not straightforward yeah I'd say that about, yeah, so about like 20 minutes we have an achievement I think for 20 minutes something 20 minute dive yeah. and uh, most people I think uh, that I see on YouTube and stuff they get that on the first playthrough yes so, by playing yes by playing it not knowing anything so uh, next thing I wanted to ask you about uh, because it's referenced um, it's even referenced on the press page uh, where where your programmers are called skeptical programmers um, and in your oh, that's your, just your, all your... Fried. <laughs> yeah probably I, I, okay Johan uh, was not yeah, skeptical well he is skeptical <laughs> by nature in a way I guess oh, okay. <laughs> not as skeptical as Ulf though <laughs> that's true. if anyone is skeptical by nature is him okay so how was it working with uh with a skeptical programmer uh was it was it in a way was it something that was useful in terms of keeping it keeping it all you know within within the realms of of something that was sensible to pr you know press on with yeah i mean i i'm <laughs> i'm always thankful to have skeptical people around me when especially when i'm in sort of the design chair as i've been here uh because yeah. i i i I don't trust myself to to sort of make the right decisions on everything, so so I'm just glad to have someone else that doesn't. And Ulf has been fulfilling that role, uh, not only on They Breathe, but on on the residue project that we worked on before. Mm. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of used to to that, and that's just I, I think it's natural because Ulf is is not just a programmer; he's a game designer, and right. um, I I think it's kind of common and natural for for game designers to sort of be skeptical of each other's ideas and, and that's not how I would have done it, you know? <laughs> and uh, that can be really annoying sometimes and I'm not saying mm. it hasn't I been. I was going to say, uh, the occasional conflict maybe? Yeah. Um, now, I, I've actually been a lot more annoyed on projects when I don't get that kind of, mm. uh, that, that kind of opposition uh, because the, then then it's all up to me, you know? The, the, then I sort of... Yeah, then I then I have to be really sure that I'm I'm right on everything. Yeah, how does it manifest? Is it like, uh, well, I'll program it, but I don't really like it. <laughs> that kind yeah, of stuff. But yeah, yeah, mainly. Uh, maybe it's time to mention that we don't really work in this constellation anymore, um, mm. and we most of us actually don't live in Gothenburg anymore. I think Johan mm. and Ulf and I do, uh, but I've come up to Stockholm for this recording. Um, Bless so, you. so, <laughs> so we're, uh, we're all working in different companies and the working parts isn't really, uh, doing anything and hasn't been for, for a bunch of years. Um, mm. so Ulf is, is working on image and form games right now. He was instrumental in Steamworld yeah. Heist. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, Steamworld Dig as well. And then Steamworld Dig as well. I think he was a programmer on Dig, but he designed a lot on Heist. Yeah. He designed yeah. the boss, I think he said. <laughs> Uh, while yeah. Johan and I are working on on Zoink with the Fay project, um, and and, and we're working and at Arrowhead with the secret project. 
as of now. Yeah, we, we can't, we can't yes. talk about it. We can't talk about that at <laughs> no, all, unfortunately. unfortunately. But yeah. we will be able to talk about That's it. That's a eventually. shame. But Arrowhead, obviously, our listeners will know from such games as Magic and uh, the Gauntlet. Uh, yeah, and the Hello Divers as well. Yeah. And then we have Christian also. Yeah. And I work for a company called Lionbite. We haven't actually released a game yet, but it's coming. It's called Rain of Reflections. And we actually have a teaser on, the, on YouTube, but don't, don't watch it. It's, it's old. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> what right. a pitch. Let's move on to the art and the Nistrum's Time to Shine. Um, I want to talk about the art because uh, I think that... I think, um, that we we talked about the, the the main image of the frog earlier uh, and how sort of um how relevant that is what one of the the quotes i found on on your website was inspired by swedish folk and children's tales and certainly there's a book i i recently dug it out cuz my mum was around and i uh, she was sort of um delighted to see that i still had a lot of my favorite children's books um, one of them i can't remember the author uh, it's in the other room but um it's a game, it's a book called I said game. That's how obsessed I am. It's a book called Fish Fish is Fish and um and it and it's a story about a fish and a frog and they are friends. Um one day the frog leaves for amphibian life uh and the fish has to stay in the water and in the end um they have to both accept that their 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 worlds are different um but they can still be friends and it, you know that's the that's the story it tells but actually the 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 color palette and the and the frog actually reminded me a little bit of that um were there any particular uh children's tales or books that that inspired the the look of the the visual design of they breathe or was it just a general sense and a mood yeah well um there's this the swedish painter yeah, really old, he's dead since I mean, 100 years or something, but he's called Jon Bauer. And he mm-hmm. paints uh, really, really cool uh, paintings of trolls and stuff in the Swedish forest. And that was uh, uh, a huge inspiration for the style. Yeah, mm. and also there's a, uh, there's a pretty famous uh, Swedish sh- uh, children's books illustrator uh, that I think he's alive, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's alive. Uh, he's, he's called uh, Sven Nordquist with a Q in the middle of the surname. And he yep. paints also a lot of uh, children's books about uh, like farms and forests and you know this kind of nature uh-huh. that we, and, uh, with a lot of detail, uh, like an insane, insane amount of detail. If you Google him, yeah. uh, like Sven Orkis image or whatever, you'll probably find a good example of that. And we took a lot of inspiration out of that because Bauer, the first one, he, he was kind of like more like a, a low-key guy when it came to details, like adding the right amount of detail at the right place, where Sven Orkis is like all about the details everywhere, all the time. Yeah, it's just kind of a children's book where he tells a story, but you don't really read it for the story. You read it for just to look at all the images. Yeah, and there's always things going on. Like if the story is like this, this guy is making pancakes for this cat or whatever. It's actually an example. Yeah. Uh, there's like there's a lot of stuff going on in the background with this like small gnomes and stuff running around and have their own society in the image where the story is being told. Uh, so we kind of took a lot of inspiration from that. But what I was going to say was that the, the frog uh, was obviously like inspired uh, by uh, Pixar characters and uh, like Super Nintendo game mascots and stuff. And we we really wanted f- people slippy to... Slippy toad? F- bit of slippy. Yeah, yeah, a bit of slippy there too. Uh, we really wanted people to think when they saw the image like, oh, that looks like uh, some kind of uh, mascot kind of game. Yeah. But why is he sad? That doesn't look good. They're always <laughs> happy. And then you play the game. Well, like, oh, really he, he looks kind of. It looks kind of sunny up there, but he looks kind of sad. And then you dive down, and it's like, 
this is not this is not a nice game. <laughs> That's what we wanted to go for. So like, yeah, that image. We, I think we nailed it. Uh, I really like that image. We really we really really tried to make it pop. Like if we said it several times. If you scroll on a Steam page or a Xbox page, when you see that image, you you need you're gonna have to stop and say what's that and uh, mm. and and we've heard from several people i guess including yourselves that that that, that worked i don't know if we want to talk about this maybe we can switch over to this but the moose uh, the whole moose thing yeah. that's a big one uh when you talk about the art uh i think it's funny that the moose basically kind of looks like uh, when you're like three years old and you draw a horse you only draw yeah. like a head and a blob <laughs> and legs and the legs that's are right. on the same yeah. level so to speak and some can somehow that kind of works out in this game i guess people are familiar with the that image being something that you actually can relate to. Yeah, where you draw the four mm. four legs and you draw two together at the front and then two together at the back, but there, yeah, there's no depth to it or anything. Yeah, yeah. What's amazing is that I know that there are some people who are going to listen to this podcast because they listen to all of our, all of our podcasts and they won't have played They Breathe and they are going to be wondering what the hell we are talking about. <laughs> yeah, I had to play it. Well, I've actually thought game, about people. that. When we designed the game, we, we were talking about this game a lot when we were commuting. And then one time I was thinking, what if someone hears us? <laughs> 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 what, what would they be thinking? I was like, right. yeah, you know, we had, to, we had to pull off the arm of the moose to make it look like a frog from that side. And, and then I was just like thinking, what if someone hears us? So the... Um the thing I wanted to say about the art overall uh, to do our normal cane and rinse critiquing is um, I think it's easy now for I think we've been um, kind of spoiled by certain games in the sense of being like lavish, like Studio Ghibli style things. I'm thinking Ori and the Blind Forest and stuff like that. And maybe in, in, a, in a sense, um, something like uh, Un- Unravel as well. In, in uh, Obviously, that's a very different style. It's closer to photorealism. So sometimes now to come to a game where it's more um, it's more like, yeah, like uh, folk art or children's books or something like that i think initially it can be a little um you feel like it's a bit i don't know retro or something like that but actually uh it i think the i think i think the art in the game and and particularly i think the color palette fits the mood um really really well and uh it wouldn't i don't think it would the whole piece wouldn't have the same vibe if if it if like if you'd employed a really you know pseudo realistic or kind of yeah like um, you know Disney type of type of situation, I don't think that would have would have fit. Um, Josh, how do you feel about the visuals? Obviously, I know it's a huge part uh, of, of an experience for you with uh, animation being one of your passions. I mean, I think I think what the visuals do effectively is kind of convey mood. Um, I don't think this is, you know, I'll be honest with you guys, this isn't the, you know, the best animation I've ever seen or the most detailed art assets I've ever seen or anything like that. But in terms of just composing an image and, compo- you know, having kind of a control over the colours that are on screen and um, um, the illusion of lighting... Um, in the water and stuff like that 
it does create an atmosphere that's um, when you combine that with the sound design, which I'm sure we'll get onto in a bit. Absolutely. But when when you combine the kind of aesthetic, kind of minimalist aesthetic, with the sound design, it does create this kind of creeping, um, gnawing feeling at the back of your neck, and it is, uh, you know, it does exactly what it's intending to do. And the fact that it's not, you know, the flashiest or, you know, the, the most impressive uh, animation I've seen. And, and, and Leon is right. We have been spoiled recently. Like Ori in the Blind Forest has pretty much kind of uh, put the bar so high that it's impossible now. But, um, yeah, but in terms of creating that mood and creating that atmosphere, it, it does really effectively do that. Although I would say without the sound design... Um, it wouldn't nearly be as effective. I think it, it's that marriage of the two that mm. really sells it for me. Mm. James, how do you feel? Yeah, I think it's interesting because like, thinking about either uh, art design or graphics, when something tries to be retro or, or in a retro style, the game ends up to one degree or another, being about the fact that it's got 16-bit-esque graphics or um, it's designed like a 1940s cartoon to pick an indie game that hopefully we'll see sometime this year. Hopefully Um, we'll see. Uh, So it's it's interesting that the, the, the art for They Breathe does come from some similar ideas in Swedish folk and children's uh, books and and the art in those. But the game never felt like it was about that. And I think that's something that's really interesting because had this been a game that was using retro graphics or um, being based around a particular art style, that's something that nowadays like I say, a big deal would be made out of. Whereas in this case, this is the art, as as Josh said, it sets the tone along with the music. It gives you that sense of sort of creeping dread and sets like a melancholy vibe. So muted colours and um, I think the 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 way you've just explained why the, the moose is designed the way it is, not just the head but the whole body, um, really feeds into that it's it's a childish kind of wonder that goes with that kind of art that even though it's quite innocent and often sort of cartoony or surreal can can equally be quite disturbing and that's what this art does i think it's uh it's quite striking uh that you know i i can't say i've seen any games that look like this uh in recent memory certainly i also think that the 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 color choices uh, are important not only in terms of functionality um thinking about the i don't know exactly what they're supposed to be but there's kind of like poisonous or gassy bubbles or something which are a different color you immediately know that you should avoid those um, but also as josh was talking about it the desire to remain that deliciously deep emerald color that the frog is by default is really strong especially when you start to see that um, they don't just go paler green they go this sort of icky brown and they start spewing out little chunks of animated blood out of their gills or whatever that's how I see it anyway and um, that's a really uh, again because you go from this really cute little Glenn the Frog dude you don't know know he's called Glenn uh, and then suddenly just through yeah the the 
the change in color palette and a few you know really minimal bits of animation you start to feel uh you know for him like like you've got to help him out like you've got to get him out of this get out of this hole and um you know far more than i think for a lot of us who are playing 16-bit platformers we used to dread the underwater levels uh oftentimes thinking about playing particularly the pal version of sonic the hedgehog which was already uh 17% slower and then the underwater sections which were slower still and the the agonizing wait while you waited for the next bubble to to uh spawn um and uh that that was not fun but here because of the the control of the frog and the fact that um not only did uh breathing in the air uh make make your frog look and feel better uh it makes it i think that's compelling in itself um but yeah and without that without those art aspects i don't think that would be there um probably another striking or perhaps yeah the, the single most striking thing that you'll see uh arrives at the bottom uh, and the hive which uh i read as well and and it was certainly my thought that this was we've talked about metroidvanias there there, there seems to be a real um uh, metroid boss kind of vibe going on with the hive slightly inspired of the lake. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think we mentioned say. maybe a Metroid or Alien or something. Yeah. There's a lot of Alien in this in general. And there's a lot of Alien in Metroid, yeah. so it all makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah. The root of all evil, I think it's called, down there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> On the card. And, um, when you were, how, in terms of designing that, uh, because the game takes a slightly, you've learned in, in the previous 20 minutes or thereabouts, uh, a lot about the mechanics of the game but then the mechanics kind of change up a bit uh in in the sense that it is yeah i suppose you'd call it a boss fight um again for me the the sort of the interesting part was um sort of working out the relationship between the various elements were com- that were coming on screen but again how do you how do you make sure that the player actually progresses works out what they need to do without telling them right um we we don't. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, really, we. I mean, it's it's the classic. Uh, if we just shut the player in a room long enough and and limit the problem space, then they will eventually figure it out. We, I don't think we have much more than that going for us in that particular scene. Actually, um, you of course you. If the boss is like this giant jelly creature with four frogs attached to it, um, yeah. which well are essentially i think they oh yeah they are uh, flipped around so they kind of look like moose heads but they're also animated they're the first ones that uh that animate all the time so that you can clearly see that these are not uh moose heads. Yeah. so if you yeah. hadn't gotten the the plot twist at that point you're very likely to figure it out and what you need to do is sort of lead other jellies into those heads so that they steal them uh which uh um, which robs the boss of one of its channels from which it can expel oxygen. And eventually it gets so full of oxygen that it explodes when you remove all the heads. And um, it's it's not necessarily something that that is easy to figure out. And it's the one place in the game, I think, where people get stuck the most. Right. Um, and like like many things in They Breathe, it's, it's based on a very, very tight design where we really can't change very much because everything's is sort of dependent on everything else um which is is 
uh, well, I guess the reason why in in a lot of places the design just isn't isn't perfect because we we can't always make changes uh, because we have all these gameplay considerations and all these story considerations that everything just melts together. Uh, I just uh, I can I can just uh, pop in and I just remember one thing that we actually did change. Do you remember from the Xbox version? We it, that that version is really hard. Uh, we we did yeah. change the, the fact that you can you can go into a jelly and you can uh, pull control yeah, yourself you can even after a... you're in the jelly and thus you can steer the jelly towards the head and kind of kite huh. it where it's supposed to go. Oh, did that came come after? Yeah, that came I'm after. So that's why you shouldn't play the Xbox version. In the earlier version, you had to kite them, so to speak. Yeah, it was yeah. really hard. James, did you, uh, did you figure it out straight away? Did it take you any experimentation or puzzling? Yeah, no, no it didn't. I, I felt like I'd already... I, I, one of my notes is that the boss fight combines previous knowledge like very simple note i was writing as the boss fight started uh, just quickly scribbled down um I, f- I felt like it blended together everything you'd been shown and had learned about the the f- the frogs and the jellyfish and the moose all together perfectly well one thing i did wonder is um because obviously the boss is is quite big on the screen um is it not likely it seemed to me that if someone hadn't worked that out it would probably happen by chance like when you're trying to get away from a jellyfish it would probably bump into a frog and dislodge it anyway so you would work out then I would think but yeah. maybe not yeah we see that on YouTube all the time when people yeah, yeah. play the game yeah. uh, they don't really some people don't really get it and they kill the jellies and then we spawn another jelly and they kill that one and they spawn another mm. and eventually <laughs> the jelly runs into a frog and yeah. then uh, oh what happened oh my god and yeah, that's another thing we actually changed with the uh, Steam version I think in the Xbox version the, the boss was so to speak fighting you from the start right Yeah. but then in the Steam version true. we eventually changed that the first version of the boss is just lying there with this moving yeah. music yeah, and you're wondering what, what's Until up with this guy it. and then eventually either by you know, trying it or by pure luck uh, a jellyfish will actually pull a frog from the boss and then the boss kicks into action and the tentacles comes out and yeah. the action starts and you get scared and, yeah that's uh, one thing we changed <laughs> yeah. but while we talk about the boss can I just ask you guys a thing that I want to I wanna know not you guys the guys on the, the mics uh, did, you, did you guys get that the only point uh, uh, where bubbles come from in this world is from that boss Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Nice. That's, that's a. I think that's a very nice detail that some people t- uh, sometimes. Uh, yeah. I. I guess I. S- I surmised it might be because uh, there's there's a lot of bodies around the boss, and I surmised mm. that the oxygen or the gas may be decomposition gas coming from. Oh, lovely. Those, but I was probably over <laughs> way overthinking it. But but yeah, I got that the oxygen's rising all the way from the bottom uh, up. I think um, the one thing that surprised me about the the climax of the game was actually I wasn't. Ex- maybe it's due to other things I've played, or maybe it was due to the tone of the game or a combination. But I wasn't expecting Glenn to make his way back to the surface. I thought that his fate would be sealed somehow in the depths. So I was sort of surprised about that. Yeah, but, there's actually um, a bug where he dies. <laughs> there was a bug. Yeah, no, oh, I think it's still in the game. Oh, maybe. I think so. You, basically, he, he doesn't appear. Yeah. And then some people go, oh, no, he died. Oh, so in the credits, he's, he's not there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you see the credits, you get the mood, but he's not there. And then yeah. if you saved any frogs, they would be at the surface, and you might think, oh, so he died saving them, which is, I mean, it's an okay ending. It's a different story. It's a bug. Yeah, totally. yeah. Yeah. It's a good bug. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, I, I no, think we like a little bit of 
light in our darkness. Now I think I remember the other thing I wanted to ask about the boss is the fact that he, when he revives, he revives uh, Moose sometimes, and he like he whips with his mm. hand, and uh, a, a lightning strikes. Uh, mm. Did you guys think about the fact that that lightning always strikes when you uh, start a new wave? Yes, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I noticed. The, yeah, the I flash, love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I thought that was really again like it's quite subtle in the sense that it's not like you know the screen doesn't completely shake or it's not like some massively over the top kind of lightning strike. There's just this sort of sinister. <laughs> and a little flash of light and and it made me think of all the documentaries i've seen of undersea creatures that have uh you know electricity as one of their powers <laughs> um uh, and uh, yeah i thought that was really atmospheric touch and it was um yeah it just set set me on edge ever so slightly for what was about to come and especially the first few times Josh, did you uh, battle through the, the the final boss with with uh, without too many problems? I, I got to admit, I think I kind of fudged my way through half of it before I realised what was going I, on. I, I was going to say, um, I, I was going to offer some um, some negative criticism because I, f- I feel like you guys are, are, are open to it and and won't and won't uh, take it the wrong yeah, way. Absolutely. I I um I like James and and um, Leon already said. I do actually like how uh, much of the game previous to to this encounter uh, does kind of establish what you need to do with this boss fight and that's always good design where you know everything previous to a boss is kind of training you how to deal with the boss one of the one of the things I found though that uh, during the second phase when the tentacles come out and your kind of real estate on the screen becomes mm-hmm. significantly less um, there were times when the mooses, the two of them, would manage to uh, corner, like corner me against the tentacle, and then would just bash me into the floor uh, until I was wrapped up in the tentacles. And that happened about, and I must have been unfortunate uh, or just a terrible player, but it happened five times in a row where Ooh. I got stuck yeah. against, against the tentacle oh, and uh, the moose people just uh, moose people moose <laughs> jellies that's so much more normal with moose jellies right? yeah. is that the sequel maybe? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it just it felt like um, I, I realised how much kind of the freedom of movement and um, the ability to kind of evade effectively previous to that encounter was important to the kind of your relationship with the the jellyfish and how having that taken away um, um, with the tentacles and and uh, the you know the creature in the middle of the screen that was uh, you know slowly increasing size meant that there were opportunities for the the enemies to completely surround me in a way that wasn't possible before um, which you know, after a while, I, I got used to, but like like Leon hinted at, there was a feeling that a lot of it was luck rather than skill. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's the main reason I brought up in the beginning that I, I expect, <laughs> I kind of expected one of you to hate the game in general, uh, because there is such a random factor to what the experience actually turns into, uh, which is something that we wrestled with, but ultimately is kind of. Um, it's kind of intrinsic to to uh, how the systems work, uh, but a lot of players end up having these frustrating uh, experiences where they get uh, ganged up on by by um, by the moose, and the um, 
it's been really difficult for us generally to to control the difficulty, uh, which is uh, why we've really for every version we've made we've sort of made it slightly easier. Um, because we'd we'd rather actually when it's such a mood heavy and story heavy game we we would rather have it too easy than too hard, but it's still a huge span between the easiest possible random uh, value of of the difficulty level and the highest. Um, so hmm. yeah, it's, sorry about that. Uh, I think we we, <laughs> we 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 could have done a, a lot of things differently with uh, with the tools that we have today. And I think generally a lot of they breathe has been shaped by extremely uh, tight um, technical constraints, uh, yeah. which, which I'm thankful for because it's uh, in, in large part what has forced us to make the game as weird as it is. Uh, but it's also the reason for many of its shortcomings, I think. I read, uh, did you know that uh, they breathe has a TV tropes page? I know, right? Yeah, I checked it out. <laughs> Yeah, we, we Google the game all the time. So <laughs> yeah, we should do. Yeah, uh, is it true what it says that there's a game-breaking bug? And not only that, it says on rare occasions the final boss will simply not spawn. Even worse, the developers have no idea what causes this. Is that we true? We did fix that, didn't we? I, I think we did. I think but we did. Also, <laughs> spawns. I guess he's always there, right? No, yeah, but he sometimes he won't. But he doesn't kick into gear. Yeah, so that, that's that's. I think we fixed that. Yeah, I remember a Steam thread. Like like most devs, I guess uh, after the release, we we spent like three or four weeks just on the Steam forums, helping out people with bugs and explaining stuff and, sure. and stuff like that. And I have a vague memory of someone who mentioned that and us fixing it. We need but to remove if, that entry. But if we if we if we yeah. can fix it, I can now guarantee that we absolutely won't fix it. One hundred percent sure we won't uh, fix that. Yeah. All right. Well, it's about time we talked about the sound. Um, I thought the sound was excellent. Uh, personally, yeah. uh, I think um, all the the spot effects communicated their functions well, but without you know they didn't break atmosphere or anything like that uh, but I think the most important stuff was the the ambience for me um, so I was wondering first off uh, is this Christian uh, was this a, um, a soundscape that you created entirely by your own fair hand or was it you did you use libraries or, or how, how did this come about uh, I made it entirely on my own with my own recorded sound effects and some uh, synthesizer sounds, you know, the, the whole the whole idea with the sound was that when you start at the surface, you have these organic sounds like hmm. water, and then you move further down and you get like wooden forest sounds, and then as you get deeper, it turns into a more alien landscape, so hmm. to speak, like more syn- synthetic sounds and like a, a more creepy, unnatural feeling, like coming closer and closer you know so does it transition between waves or is it time is it over time uh it's actually based i uh, i think we measured the whole game like in meters or something in in the actual right. engine like uh, in what's it called exact a part of xna like the engine we used yeah and uh, we, i think yeah, uh, you know, we had like layers based on where you were positioned as a player in this vertical level, you know. So a- as you progressed further down, it faded slowly into different layers. Nice. See, people think making games is easy. You just throw <laughs> them together. Uh, yeah. So what, what, 
what's uh, what some of the um, uh, were you literally like doing field recordings and stuff like that for some of the noises? There's there's actual is there actual water in there and, and from what source? The sink, a, a, a lake. <laughs> yes. Oh man, uh, that that's it's many years ago. I mean, th- this was like yeah, the yeah. first game I worked on and the first sounds I recorded, so they were probably pretty crappy looking back. But I mean, it no, was man, like it sounds yeah. good. All right. <laughs> Still. Uh, uh, I thought so. All so. oh, right. Thanks. Uh, He's a bit picky with sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Man picky, yeah, man yeah sound. I mean, uh, uh, I think I recorded like a small lake where I lived. I, I walked around with boots on in the lake and during the evenings and looked like a madman and stuff like that, so, you know, in the bathtub, threw things in the bathtub. So a really fun time. I realize I don't and even know this, but how did you do the moose? Uh, yeah. The moose is actually a cow, I think. Oh, <laughs> no wonder people think it's a cow. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I tried to take the frog sound and somehow turn it into a moose-like sound, but oh, it didn't quite sound genius. well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, 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 that's what I thought as well. But it didn't quite sound like something you would connect to the graphics so i had to like uh, stretch the, the boundaries a bit and just t- take a moose and pitch it down and add some reverbs you know if i if i can just jump in um please when i was uh, uh going through the kind of behind the scenes gallery um there's there's a part of it where you kind of discuss the decision process um behind kind of uh, choosing whether to have music in the main yeah. body of the game or not, and um, using sound design, and I'm I'm really I was really interested in the fact that um, for a long time it sounded like you guys weren't kind of keen on the idea of not having music because I, I have to say, um, and, and it's going to sound like I'm picking favourites out of you, out of you love, but um, the sound design is kind of like it's the thing from this game I'm going to take away and remember. Um, like the sound design is for me the highlight of of this game, and I think the decision to not have music was an incredibly brave, but also uh, for me at least the the correct choice because. What it lent the game was this feeling of, um, you know, in in horror movies where something horrible happens and there's just no, there's no build up to it at all. There's just yeah. kind of a matter of fact ness to it, and and that kind of casual um, creepiness is almost worse than the build up to something horrible, and that's that's what the kind of sound design and the decision to have no music uh, lent it. It was this feeling of like, well, the frogs are drowning now. That's horrible, and you're like, wait a minute, th- this is awful. Why am I like? Why am I just so accepting of this? And um, yeah, I, I, I kind of wanted you guys to kind of um, elaborate more on on the the thought process on that and and the fights that might have happened to to make you know the, the make the final decision you made with the music and the sound design. Yeah, uh, I'm, I mean, I, I remember back then and even now to some degree that I think music. I mean, I, I love music and a lot of people love music, but sometimes it becomes like an emotional crutch. You know, you lean too much on the music to yeah. like express some kind of emotion for the player to tell the player like this is how you're supposed to feel. 
Mm. And uh, I think it's it's more of a challenge to try to mix sound and music together in some kind of ambience. So in this particular case, we're in Inside or Limbo, you know, there are lots of different examples. Uh, and and uh, I mean, I, I wanted to do that challenge and to, as you describe it, have this creeping horror instead of, I don't know, like a jump scare, like the... Uh, like in Resident Evil, you, you have this sudden sound, you know, and mm-hmm. you're supposed to jump. And I- in this case, it's more like a creeping horror mm-hmm. coming mm-hmm. closer as you go deeper. And also, the, I mean, the whole sound is very compressed, the, the ambient sound. So yeah. it, it kind of occupies your ears and gets further and further into your ears and it gets kind of unpleasant to listen to, to be frank. Mm. But that's the point. <laughs> Suffocates you. Yeah, I, I actually wanted to ask Josh about that. We we have a couple of, um, I don't know exactly what the right term is, but I assume it's something like aquaphobes on the team. And Josh, you're, you're affected by this at points, aren't you, in certain video games being underwater? I wondered if the ambience in this game triggered any of that for you. It, it, it did. Um, I think it, it didn't go all the way, so I was able to actually play the game. Yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah. it, it can, uh, like, honestly, it can affect me to the point where I just don't want to play the game. And um, weirdly, like, it's games like um, Tomb Raider Underworld, where there's that yeah. uh, section of the the game where it's just open ocean and there are sharks swimming in the distance. <laughs> And I just, I can't play it. I just can't deal with it. <laughs> and th- this game wasn't, you know, on that level for me. And mainly because it's 2D and, and it's got a cartoonish mm. art style. So there's a level of, a, of, of abstraction going on in my head. But still, like, underwater monsters are a huge, uh, you know, a big deal for me. And the sound design is kind of key because it's... It's the feeling that you are not welcome here that I think triggers me the most when it comes to that kind of fear is that I am a land creature. I belong on the land. And when the audio kind of changes and becomes this kind of different alien uh, soundscape um, of the underwater realm. And and later on, um, you know, the sound design come, becomes more and more alien, and it's not just the fact that it's underwater. It's kind of becoming otherworldly. But it is that, that that really gets to me, is the feeling of this is not where I belong. And, and the frog is kind of going through that experience as well. Like, he's going from his home on the surface of the water where everything's nice and blue and there's uh, vegetation and stuff like that into, a, you know, like the... Not the deep sea. It's, a, like, right at the lake bed. But there's kind of... The, the jellyfish evoke that kind of deep sea creature that um, that horrifies it like there's loads of photos of like these fish that you can find in the deep sea if you google it but like they're the the, the, they are the things that have inspired horror movie monsters yeah and and yeah just having that portrayed in a game yeah it was it was really effective Hmm. james any thoughts you and uh and and josh have already said uh more and more eloquently than i than i certainly could but yeah i can only echo it one one thing that i did really like was uh, because there's no distinction between a menu screen well there's no menu screen at all uh at the start of the game um but the theme music is playing there i i mm. do like the fact that when you first jump into the water the music still 
playing for a little bit. So it, it does have mm. that feeling of the same way you would in water, where something you can hear on the surface, if you're then diving down, it would become muffled and distant and distorted and you'd lose it after a while. So um, I, I did like that that touch. And then, uh, as you say, the distorting of the sounds and changing of the sounds as you get deeper, um, as someone who spent far too much of their time in water uh, as a swimmer when I was a teenager, um, you you do kind of get used to the fa- something that, is very odd, which is the way that sound changes when you're in water, uh, and and is very different and does have an alien aspect to it. You know, even just moving your head in water, there's there are sounds and things you hear then that you wouldn't usually hear, uh, as Josh says, as, as as land creatures that we are. I really like the the title theme as well, and I wanted to ask uh, Hugo about Joel's input. Um, when it came to composing the tune had you always was it always like a given that it would be your brother who you got to do it or was it by happy coincidence that he happens to be a talented musician or how does that work yeah i mean i mean joel's fantastic uh and we've been working on stage play projects before this and on uh, on pre on game projects before they breathe as well i've basically never made a game without him on music Um, and uh, yeah (laughs) it's convenient that he's my brother but I mean nowadays (laughs) I've actually convinced an an entire at least double A studio of of his merits so yeah it's it's not all nepotism Um, no absolutely but but, uh, no but he he has this I mean he I think there are a a couple of different facets of of music that you need to nail in order to, to be good at game music uh, and Joel just nails all of them. He's able to to nail very specific moods. If I, if I say this is the mood I want, he can deliver on that. Uh, and he understands the technical side of it and implementing, uh, well, more advanced sort of layered music. But most importantly for me is that he has a sense for melodies that's just outstanding. Uh, and and that I think that shows in They Breathe. I think that shows better in, in most of the other games. But even in They Breathe, it's a song that just, that you... You remember it. So we should hear from uh, three more of our wonderful community who have played They Breathe, starting with Colin Alonso, who says, All I knew when starting They Breathe was that it was underwater and looked a bit unusual. This reminded me of playing Echo Tides of Time when I was younger and how that game always made me feel uneasy with some of its world and enemy design. As I started playing They Breathe, those thoughts evaporated quickly. I was saving my fellow cartoon-styled frogs from what appeared to be underwater elk, which looks as silly as it sounds. Then the first headless enemy appears and things get creepy quickly through the use of some clever character design. From this point, the game continues to disturb on its short journey to the bottom of the sea. The swimming mechanics are serviceable and mean that the game can be completed without any frustration, but the gaming mechanics are not the reason this game exists. They Breathe is about setting up its world and then delivering a visual twist, and in that regard I feel it is a success. But its overall simplicity means it is a game I like rather than love. Next up we have Acamius, who says, They Breathe felt like a weird macabre short story found in a science fiction anthology. Trimmed of all fat, the gameplay comes naturally from simple observation and a minimum of trial and error. Although I can't say I love the art style, it is clear, simple and relates all the information the player needs to figure out the gameplay and the story. 
I got no major insights or profoundly moving experiences, but They Breathe was impressive in its, ab in its ability to create a dark, foreboding atmosphere and some genuine surprises. Like the best short-form art, this game is focused and to the point. And finally, from the forum, uh, Jakob G42, uh, this is high praise indeed, says, I wish there were more games like They Breathe. In some ways, it reminds me of a twisted Pixar short. It establishes a tone, delivers its twist and gets the heck out before overstaying its welcome. It's a bite-sized game, but has stayed in my memory far more than some titles that I've spent dozens of hours on. Due to its surreal and sinister atmosphere, I sometimes re remember it in the same way I remember a dream from weeks ago. That is, more for the way it made me feel than any specifics. They Breathe is a game that makes me excited for the future of the medium. As game making gets more and more accessible, I can only hope we get more titles that are as singularly weird as They Breathe. Aww. That's pretty good, nice, man. isn't it? Yeah. Also yeah. Got, uh, it's kind words. Yeah. We've got a couple of three-word reviews on Twitter. Follow us, do, at Kane and Rince. Uh, Jacob says, inexplicably creepy amphibians. And Nick Shrewsbury says, harrowing herpetological hell. I assume <laughs> herpetological <laughs> relates to frogs. Uh, thank you for Herp. those. I so, think it's uh, lizards, isn't it? If you go herping, then you're hunting for lizards. Oh. Herp derp actually means something. Oh, Nick's got it I wrong then. Oh, well. Uh, we'll we'll let him off for the for the alliteration. It's uh, artistic license. So, in our usual fashion, uh, first of all, the Cana Rince crew are going to sum up their feelings on the game uh, in brief, and whether they would recommend people check it out or not. Starting with James. Um, as far as people checking it out or not, as as has already been made abundantly clear, it's a uh, a game that can be found for. Uh, pretty cheap by most people's standards and it's not going to eat up a lot of your time so yeah absolutely check this out on steam sounds like it's the uh the version that is most recommended um it it's probably not that useful i know you guys kind of wanted to hear some negative comments but i think putting this in perspective of this was a, a university project or it came from that at least um, I, I think it's it's pretty darn astounding, and hearing the thought processes and and how this game came together only added to how much I enjoyed it. I think um, I recently had a conversation with uh, Josh, where Josh quite rightly made the point of not criticizing a game for something it's not trying to be, um, and I think this game succeeds in what it is trying to be it, it was definitely creepy it brought to mind a lot of uh fairly profound and uh consequential uh thoughts and comparisons in my mind and to say that within the space of 21 minutes I'm, i managed to experience everything that we've talked about uh this evening for uh six times that length um is incredibly high praise. This is testament to what a, a you know relatively small group of friends can do if they've got you know the sort of talent you guys have, and it's utterly unsurprising that you've all gone on to uh, you know successes in the video game industry and to where you're all at now. So yeah, uh, thank you for suggesting I play it. Lovely, Joshua. So um, 
for recommendations, like I, I mean, as James said, it's it's so cheap and so short that I I think it's impossible not to recommend. So, I mean, it's half it's you know half an hour long. It's not going to take you know it's not going to take that long to play. So, do play it. Um, and I think the comparisons to like animated shorts are really apt because um, it does feel like a really neat. Um, you know, little idea that's explored for exactly the amount of time that it needs to be explored. I think if this was a full game, um, like, you know, a five-hour experience, or e- even like a, a two-hour, three-hour experience, I think the idea would have um, been stretched to breaking point. But as a half-hour experience, it's just a great mood piece, a bit of a bit of atmosphere and a bit of creepiness. It, it kind of feels like um, like 10 minutes of um, under the skin uh, during the sequences where <laughs> Scarlett Johansson is tempting um, her suitors into the black depths. It's like mm. just like one scene from there. And, and that's all you need. It's just like a really effective mood piece with no exposition needed and just entirely relying on visual and sound design um th- there are some you know gameplay mechanical considerations um mainly towards the end of the game with the boss that i i'm not a huge fan of but like the sound design i think is the thing that will stay with me i think um more than anything else i think the sound design is really really effective Thank you, Josh. Uh, I would also recommend it. I don't want to lean too much on the it's cheap and short thing because that seems to rather <laughs> undermine the fantastic two hours of conversations we've, we've had about it. But those are uh, those are facts. It, it is cheap and it is short. And so there's no reason that you shouldn't play it. But it, I'd say it's it's worth thinking about in 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 greater terms than that the fact that we have just had uh you know we're having to rush to a close of a two-hour podcast now because there was so much to talk about in this game and i think on 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 a lot of levels this this podcast hopefully it's the first of of more that we'll do like this where we've got the developers uh in on in on it to talk about the the creative process um almost like a sort of like dvd commentary um you know we we all advocate developer commentaries being a a more regular feature in games but um if we can sort of create some kind of companion piece with with podcasts like this then i'm all for it i really enjoyed they breathe i can't honestly tell you if it will stay with me uh because i only played it to day but um but i found it atmospheric and diverting ultimately the gameplay is pretty simple and uh it's not something that you would necessarily want to play and replay for score attack purposes maybe just to get the achievements or something like that Uh, but ultimately yeah it's a short it tells a story uh and it throws a clever and uh striking twist at the player and so yes absolutely recommended so what i'd like to ask uh, the development team the members of which we have here to do is kind of sum up your feelings about they breathe the, the 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 making of it and the how you feel about it as a as a finished piece uh it's been a long time now and then there's so much yeah. so much that ha- has happened since uh, i mean for me they breathe is still sort of when when i found what i wanted to do with this game design career or the career that i had going on um, and 
I, I, it was actually pretty late in the design of of they breathe that that we stumbled upon this this what was really the heart of the game this letting players make their own discoveries, uh, which has kind of been my my guiding guiding light afterwards. So it's it's very formative for me in that regard. Um, as for the um, um, the product in itself, hmm. uh, I. Uh, I can't tell you how much we've 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 giggled here in this room when we've heard uh, accounts of the game uh, from you yeah. guys and fr- from uh, the forum threads that you quote, uh, because it it still amazes us or at least amazes me how people can play a twenty minute game with no language in it and then write something that could have been one of our design documents all the time. <laughs> People have this amazing ability to, to just get what it is we're trying to do with it, despite how cryptic it is. And, uh, and uh, I, th- I think that's taught me to trust players and, and that players can be trusted to understand a lot more than, than games in general give them credit hmm. for now. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Uh, we, well, the brief. The brief uh, this is Magnus speaking. Uh, the brief. Yeah, it's really, it's really stuck with me. It's one of those games we did. Uh, we did other game called Resident at the same time that didn't really uh, go as well as this one did. But I, I mean, I, it's so, it's so fun to hear people talk about the game or see people play the game. And we have this twist. This, this, this is the, the whole game's hook for me, at least, was that twist and <laughs> actually rather, I mean, strangely, but I mean, I guess I was just too focused on my part of it. But uh, mm. I, I mean, all the gameplay and all the stuff, all the, all the really clever design, I've actually more realized in hindsight rather than when we were making the game. But yeah, mm. for me, it was like I really wanted to make that that twist really, really good. I mean, I, I loved the movie Fight Club uh, uh, at the time and I still do. And uh, <laughs> I, I haven't brought this up yet, but I'll take my chance now. I, I Around that time, I, I played a game, uh, <laughs> I called, uh, you know, I played Heavy Rain, that game. And uh, I won't sp- I won't spoil it here, but that game has a has a twist in it, and mm-hmm. I I was so mad at that twist way back because that's a twist Us where, too. yeah, that's a twist where <laughs> you know they 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 fool you or they they make you believe that something happened that actually didn't happen. But while in the brief, uh, I always said like we need to have all the cues, all the hints. They, they should always be there. People need to be able to call our twist. We can never add something. It's always needs to be there yeah. and that's what I felt about Heavy Rain then that like they added stuff that I didn't do myself and when uh-huh. the twist came I didn't feel uh, f- uh, fooled I felt tricked or something yeah. that's know. manipulative uh. storytelling yeah. yeah that's my that's my that's, that's a funny side note uh, during the projects when we would develop this game Magnus kept saying it can't be Heavy Rain it can't be well. it, it, can't, it can't be anything <laughs> but it can't be it can't end up being Heavy Rain and we were like that game got a lot of cred, though. Yeah, but they didn't. They, they did mess up that one part. Yeah, yeah, they did. It's that, just that, like that, you know, I really, I funny really, quote. I, I'm still proud of the fact that we, that twist seems to work for people when they when they get their minds blown. Yeah, that's amazing because you've you've brought it round to uh, to a, a kind of pet topic among the Kane and Rince crew and community. Which we we, we did a heavy rain podcast. Uh, good two or three years ago now uh it was when we still did swearing on our shows which we don't anymore but um you should check Ooh. it out because it's fair to say that uh 
the majority of us felt exactly the same way as you did about that game. So yeah, yeah, I, I believe that's, that's the. I think I've heard it. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really a lot bad. of swears. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, uh, yeah, cr- cr- Christian, we wanna yes. Uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting because the first time I played through the entire game was actually long after it was released because when I develop games I play small parts and then I feel like I don't want to play this game because I've been playing parts of it so much that I'm tired of it but when I actually played through it I realized that this is a really good game you know really tightly designed but I was kind of blown away when I beat the boss but this all makes sense now so (laughs) (laughs) uh, and and it it was a really good starting point in my career uh, because uh, I mean we we worked on this game as we were studying at at the university so it it gave me like a head start compared to many other students who didn't have a game in their back pocket so to speak when they got, got out into the world and started to look for jobs so was a really great experience and and as uh, Hugo mentioned before we had uh, some struggles with the game engine and that <laughs> that taught me to uh, to accept those things as something normal <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i would probably say kind of similar things among them but uh, it is really interesting with the brief in a way i've i've been working in, in this industry if you if you count the brief as the first part i've been working in this industry for i guess seven years now Mm. And I still think, personally, I still think that Debrief is probably the best game I've made. Even though I've worked on, like, pretty big wow. games. Because, yeah. I mean, other games that I've worked on uh, professionally, uh, like, for instance, uh, uh, yeah, some of Paradox titles like Stellaris or Crusader Kings 2 or whatever, they have problems uh, in them that it's kind of, like, hard to ignore when you play them. Like, the lack of a tutorial in some of the games are really, really painful and the, and the, the systems that they use, I, I can hardly even play them. But Debrief... I feel like in all in all humbleness, <laughs> I feel that it's it's perfect in what it is uh, as far as what I what I could do to affect what it ended up being. Mm. Like I I feel like even though as uh, I don't know who of you said it, but we're we're well aware that the, like the animation is a bit choppy and like the, the graphics aren't really like HD quality if you compare it to the real like like this had Ori and the Blind Forest, which is like mm-hmm. a game that looks much better and also. Has a lot of uh, a lot of uh, better tech behind it, of course. Uh, yeah. But uh, like the animation was basically our first animating work. We're, I mean, we yeah. are we are three D artists uh, first and foremost. We are somewhat two D artists also, of course. But animating is really like the the third right. step for us. And and it's not really uh, you know our 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 like prime skill. But we're still looking at it. I, f- I feel like, like uh, I'm proud of the fact that we were able to do a product that is. This uh, this complete, so to speak, within its own borders, uh, and that's kind of like why I feel it's still the best game I've made because I can't really looking back at it, I can't really think I should have changed that or I should have done that uh, in another way. I feel like it's a it's a good product, and I feel I'm, I'm proud by uh, of it, so to speak. So uh, yeah, thank you guys for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Thanks yeah, for having us. It was a blast. Really. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it was a blast. It's uh, interesting to finally have a chance to talk to the uh, voices in my head. <laughs> so to speak <laughs> yeah okay well keep listening uh, so a two hour conversation about a 20 minute game we've been through eugenics and Glenn Hussein and uh, plenty of video game references uh, that's been a lot of fun uh, fascinating for us I think gentlemen would you agree absolutely yeah definitely yeah absolutely 
uh, and uh, a challenge and something a bit different. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it uh, and to other independent developers or, or non-independent developers, but NDAs might be a problem. Um, please do consider coming on and, and doing something similar with us. If you put forward a game that you think we might like to talk about in a similar fashion, then let us know. Uh, so it just remains for me, Leon, to thank James and Josh, Christian, Hugo, Magnus and Victor, with many apologies for butchering all the Swedish pronunciations throughout. Uh, and to tell you that next time, in issue 259, our heavy-duty heroes carve a path for a runaway nuclear warhead. Core. It's Blast Core. Corpse. Core. Corpse. Core. Corpse. Corpse.